And if you don't, he is your future. He's your hope. He's everything you need, everything you ever will need, everything you've ever needed, you can find in Jesus. And we're going to look here at 2 Kings chapter 2 together today. If you would, turn there, 2 Kings chapter 2. It's good to be in church today. I was reminded of a story this week. There's a man that was rescued off a deserted island. Anybody heard this one? You going to beat me to it? Okay. There's a man rescued off a deserted island, and he'd been there for some time, and and as they rescued him, they were, he was there on the boat, and they were looking back at the island, and the rescuer saw three different huts there on the island that seemed to be for just one man. And he says, was there anybody else here with you? Was, were you by yourself this whole time? And he says, yeah, I was by myself. And they said, well, well what are, what's up with the three huts? And he said, well, that first one, that's my house. That's where I lived. And they go, that's pretty nice. It looks like it, it did well for you. And he goes, well, what's the second one? And he said, well, that's the church I go to. They're like, okay, well, that's good. I guess you need a church while you're on the island. And they say, what about the third one? He says, well, that's the church I used to go to. Yeah, I'm glad that you all are here today. Let's stand together. Hopefully people keep coming back here. You don't have to build any churches anywhere else. The Second Kings chapter 2 and verse 19. And we look here. This is the very beginning of the ministry of Elisha. And for those of you that know the story, Elijah had just ascended to heaven on the chariot, as he did, the mantle fell down from, from the sky. Elisha picked it up. He struck the waters, walked across the river. And then we find the sons of the prophets here uh, looking to him uh, for some help, beginning in verse 19. It says, And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth. But the water is not, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise. And put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters and cast salt in there and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. We're going to look here in Second Kings this morning. And the thought today is the cure for every city. The cure for every city. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we thank you for what you've done for us, the privilege that it is to be here. God, I thank you for the privilege to be pastor here at this church. I thank you for our people. Lord, I pray you just bless us, Lord, in a special way today. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, speak to us what you have for us from here out of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. After New Year's Day of this year, my family, we decided we started to pack up a moving truck in Indianapolis. Yeah, on, our, on our journey to come here permanently to Midland, Texas. And I remember as, as that moment how excited we were to be able to go do what God has called us to do. And we were setting off on this new adventure together and leaving what we've known to something that we, we had, had, do not know and did not know. And after we crossed into Texas, I remember getting some notifications uh, on my phone of uh, something wrong with the water uh, here in Midland. And uh, we were under a drinking water advisory, and I didn't think much of it. I saw a few more that came in, and, and I remember even when we visited here for the first time, people said the, the water is not too good here. And, and to me, water's water. I, I'll, I'll drink it out of the, the, the hose, the spigot, anything. Water, water's water. My wife feels differently about that than I do. But for me, it wasn't that big of a deal. And then we started to get some texts, and they said the, the water main broke in Midland, and you're not supposed to drink the water, you're supposed to boil it until they say otherwise. And so... Another thing they told us was that you, you don't even need to give it to your pets. And I remember thinking that that sounded pretty dumb. 
Um, I've, I've seen my dog drink out of some pretty nasty things, and he's, he's been fine. He's still living. You know, I see him drink out of a puddle. I have to yell at him when he drinks out of the toilet at the house. The dog just drinks water, and I would not think that that water would hurt the dog. And uh, I'm from Missouri, which is the show-me state, and I, I somewhat have a prove-it attitude. For those of you that, that don't know me as well, if I hear something, I usually have to experience it for myself uh, to completely believe it or to adhere to it. And, and so we, you know, I went to the store the next day, and I, I wasn't going to give it to my kids, so we, we bought several gallons of water, a couple cases of water, a couple, I even bought, they're still in my garage, I have two five-gallon jugs of water that we, that we bought for this emergency until time passed. And yes, did you give it to your dog? No, my wife wouldn't let me, okay? But I would have. As we look at our text today, we find the city of Jericho uh, with a similar problem. The water was not. The water was, was no good. And we see the situation of the city here in verse 19. It says, And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, and the ground barren. As we look here in, in this portion of Scripture, what we would find about the city of Jericho was that Jericho was a lovely place to live. The climate was good. The ground was healthy, it was good, good dirt, good soil. But there was one problem, and as the, prophets of, the sons of the prophets came to him, they said, the water's not, it's, it's barren, it was poisonous, it was useless. And they couldn't drink of the water. They couldn't use it to help their crops. Plants would grow and things were green, but for some reason this water caused the plants to not be able to bear fruit. And, and even as we read history, this city had a problem with barrenness among the women of the city. They believed those that drank the water were not able to have children. And the problem with the water here in 2 Kings chapter 2 wasn't a new problem. It actually had been going on for centuries. And we could go all the way back to the book of Joshua. And we see Joshua speaking to the people in chapter 6. And it says, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. From that moment, as it, from it was destroyed to that moment, that city did not have the blessing of God on it. At a glance and from a distance, the city was pleasant and lovely to behold and things seemed good but as we read here in the scripture something very crucial was wrong as we look at our society this morning we understand and I think we'd all agree that our society is is blessed even when the economy is bad we still have the things that we need and most of us probably all of us have more than enough to eat and to drink we live in comfort if we were to compare ourselves to what we would find in, in the Bible or into different countries of this world, we live in luxury compared to those. We are rich and increased with goods and many have need of nothing. And we look at our city that we live in, Midland and Odessa, is a growing place. We have the ball fields here and we have the, nice, the good jobs, we have the nice cars, we have good restaurants, more and more things coming. There's a, just read a few weeks ago, we have a zoo coming to Midland, not too far from my house. Bass Pro Shop down the street, new houses, new developments, new parks. It's a pretty good place to live. But just as the men said that came to Elisha, I would agree and I would think you would agree with me this morning that our situation is pleasant. But. If we look in that verse, they said the city is pleasant, but there was a problem. There's a barrenness. And spiritually speaking, in the world that we live in, there's a great need, a barrenness, an emptiness coming to the things of God. 
There are men and women all over the world today that are searching desperately for something to satisfy them, searching desperately for meaning to life. And many continue to drink deeply of certain wells in their lives, of certain religions or riches or having power in this world or giving in to sexual desires or, or lust. And there's no life in those things. There's often only leave a person wanting more or takes them to a worse place than they are. And why is that? Why do we have that problem? It's a three-letter word called sin. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. Hold your place here in the text. But Ephesians chapter 2. Read something. This is addressed to the Christians, but he's speaking of their life before Christ. And it says there in Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you hath he quickened, the Christians, who were, here's what sin does, dead, in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." So Paul was explaining to the church of Ephesus and reminding them there was a point because of their sin they were dead in those trespasses. And we know this morning for sin to be something that is contrary to the ways of God or contrary to the commands of God and spiritually speaking in our sins without Christ we are dead. Dead to the things of God, no desire for the things of God and not only are we dead but we are deceived. Sinners, those lost in sin, are deceived into thinking that the way that they live is the right way. Just watch the media and we'll, we'll, we'll see that explained often. Many people are living deceived by the devil. One generation lives and that next generation that comes, they copy the last adding new sins and, and they pass those things down to the following generation. Humanity has continued to grow more and more wicked as each generation passes. If you don't believe me, just look at your own lifetime and the way things are different than they once were. Because they were dead in trespasses, they are deceived and they are doomed. Their life had no hope. On my own, I can't please God. On your own, you cannot satisfy God. There's no act or a certain amount of acts of righteousness that will Make any sinner acceptable to God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and two words come short of the glory of God. That means there's nothing we can do to attain righteousness. We're always going to miss the mark. We're we're never quite going to be able to attain righteousness. There's a lot of good people in this world, but there's no one that can do good enough to attain righteousness in the sight of God. Aren't you so encouraged right now by that message? It's what God says. It's what, it's what the Bible says, it's the, the truth of God and according to the Bible because of our, our sin and, the way, and, and, and all that God has transpired and God's, God's made, there are two places that a soul, that a person will go when they die. One is heaven, the other is hell. Hell is mentioned 54 times in the Bible. 31 times in the Old Testament, 23 times in the New Testament. And I want to tell you today, it's a real place. Heaven is mentioned 583 times. In the Bible. 
And those who die with their faith in Jesus are instantly in his presence in heaven when they die on this earth. The Bible says we are willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. That's what God says. But those who die in their sins will one day, if they're without Christ, open their eyes in hell. The Bible mentions a man in Luke chapter 16 that died and woke up in hell. He had everything the world had to offer, but he was without Christ. And when he died, he woke up there. He was in torment. A saved person, a, a, a true Christian, will leave this world of, of pain and heartache and sorrow and go to a place of peace and, and rest. But a lost person, a person without Christ, will go to a place with unspeakable horror and suffering. We understand there's two places, and I want to tell you today that God does not have any intention for any of us to go to hell. It's God's desire that everyone goes to heaven. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's desire for you. That's God's desire for me. That's God's desire for the rest of the world, that no people will go to hell. But we understand sin is real. And the consequences of sin are real. The city is pleasant, but the water is not. There are many things that we see in our world that we may not like that much. See a lot of unrest. See people losing their minds and out of a right frame of mind, we see a lot of danger, the result of sin. What about in your life? We have struggles, don't we? We often lack peace in certain areas. There's a lot of temptations that come into our life and things that we've given into or that might have a hold on us. Troubled relationships, fear. Uncertainty. City's pleasant. The situation isn't too bad, but there's a problem, isn't there? That's a situation that was presented to Elisha. And then secondly, this morning, we see the solution for the city. These men there came to Elisha for a solution. They wanted to know if this prophet would be able to help them in one way or another, and it's not recorded anywhere in the Bible, but I would believe that Elisha was not the first prophet to be spoken to about this. It's possible even Elijah being right there where he was, was approached by this by certain people, maybe other of the sons of the prophets had spoke to him, maybe other prophets before Elijah were asked. But it says there, when they came to him with this need, he looked at them and he said, bring me a new cruise and put salt therein, and they brought it to him. And he went forth under the springs of the waters and cast the salt in there. Then we understand the water was healed. He, he told them, I want you to get me a new cruise and some salt. Bring me a, uh, in other words, a clean vessel with some salt in it. First thing that was needed was that vessel. Can I tell you today that a great solution to our situation, a great solution to the city is men and women of God acting as the clean vessels that God wants to use. The New Testament mentions something along these lines. If you write down 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. And some to honor, some usable ones, some good ones, and some to dishonor that we would not reuse for anything else. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. One that can be used, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared 
unto every good work. It's God's desire for every person walking the face of this earth to be used for his work. The Bible says we are created for the pleasure of God. God desires to do a good work in us. Showing love to the world is a good work. Telling others about Jesus is a good work. Being a godly husband or or father is a good work. Being the wife God would have you to be or the mother God would have you to be is a good work. Being having the right testimony and living as a light in this world is a good work. Showing care for others is a good work. Showing empathy for others is a good work. Being kind is a good work. In order to be a vessel ready for that, in order to be able to carry out that good work, we must live pleasing to God, there must be some things cut off from our life. And then the rest of that verse, in verse 22, he said, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Elisha, as he was about to try to clean this water, knew the first thing that he needed was a clean vessel. One thing that is needed for our society today is vessels ready for the master's use. We know today our duty as a church is not only to give the gospel, not only to help people understand who Jesus is, but then to have a place and a plan to help people be disciples of Jesus. The commission was given to all of us. We were just going through in Sunday school a little bit ago that we are to go and teach all nations, baptizing them. Then he says, teaching them to observe all things. So not just for people to be saved, but then for the church to preach and teach the gospel of of Christ and the word of Christ and the commands given on what a true Christian looks like or how we are to operate. That's the job of the church. That's what we are to be doing here. We should come here with a desire to know him and then make him known. And I want to tell you today, this community needs men and women to be vessels used of God. And it needs a church that is preaching the gospel, but not just preaching the gospel, but we can't, these people, we cannot reach everybody on our own, can we? We need to bring more people in and to teach those people to go out and reach more people and those people to go out and reach more people because there are billions of people in this world right now. Every one of them need Jesus. That's why right now we have a a group of children in the other building learning about what the Bible says and being preached to and, and singing some songs together, learning about God. Our children need to be in a place where they can understand that they need Jesus and they need to live for Jesus. They are created for a purpose. We need to train more to be clean vessels because the world isn't getting any better, is it? Elisha knew the importance of that clean vessel and then he asked for the the salt. That salt had a cleansing ability. More than just a clean vessel, there was something that needed to be delivered to the water. And we actually look here in verse 21, we see four words in the middle of that verse, thus saith the Lord. This wasn't Elisha's doing, this was what God wanted him to do. He was acting, doing what God instructed him. Is very specific in what he asked for. There's one specific thing we are to be using and living by, and that's the Bible. The message that I preach from this pulpit never needs to be my message. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you came today to hear my message, you're going to be disappointed. 
And, I, and as pastor of this church, man, I never get to a point where I think my message is better than God's message. It's my desire to just preach what the Bible says because it's not me that can make a difference. It's the word of God that can make a difference. You know what salt does? Salt preserves. Salt wards off decay. The presence of salty Christians can preserve this society. Salt penetrates. We don't experience it too much here, but coming from Indiana where we were, we understood if you didn't rinse the salt off your car in the wintertime, it could start to eat away at the car. It penetrates. It, it starts to dissolve things that it touches. It's an aggressive substance. And the Word of God is, is sharper than any two-edged sword, and, and, and we need to be salty Christians that are going out in the community and, and, and penetrating this world and, and making a difference in the lives of many people. Salt purifies. Elisha understood as God instructed him the cleansing ability that salt had and as that water was, was diseased, that salt would act as a purifying agent. In ancient times, the newborn babies were washed in salt water to cleanse their bodies. Salt in a wound can cleanse an area. We understand today salt changes everything it touches. And when genuine New Testament Christianity touches this world, there will be change of some variety. We need Jesus. You need the Bible in your life. You need to make sure that you are consistently in a position to not only read it on your own, but a position to hear it preach for, for yourself and for the, the betterment of your relationship with the Lord. And Elisha took this, this salt from this new cruise and he dumped it into the water. And what do we find there in verse 22? So the waters were healed unto this day. It didn't just affect the water, permanently changed the water. That was a solution. The last thing today, we not only see the situation and the solution, but the last thing we see, the Savior for the city. As you read this text, what was it that did the work? Well, I'll ask it this way. Who was it that did the work? Was it Elisha? Was it the, the salt that fixed it? Was it the new cruise? It was the God of Elisha. We looked there in the middle of 21. Thus saith the Lord, who has healed the waters? I. The Lord spoke to Elisha and said, I did this. I cleanse the waters. It is me that fixed the problem. Elisha knew that it wasn't him, but God, that brought the cleansing. Elisha said, he looks at these men and he says, the reason any of this can be fixed, the reason any of this water can be drinkable, the reason you can ever find uh, any satisfaction from this water or grow any fruit is because of God. Can I tell you today that the hope for our community is not me, it's not you, it's not this church, not, not this group of wonderful people today, it's God. And because it's him, we're going to preach Jesus. This church is going to gather, we're going to worship, we're going to listen to the Bible as it's preached. We're going to have things available for as many age groups as we can. And we're going to have children being taught the word of God in a way they can understand and be helped by it. Because he is worth trusting. 
He's the one that can help their lives. He's the one that can bring them to a place where they can make a difference in this world. We're going to preach the Bible because God is righteous and the Bible says we can't attain righteousness on our own. People need to know the truth of the word of God because the water is not. We look here in this text, the water was not, but God cleansed it. You know, our situation in sin is not good, but Jesus came to fix that. There's an important thing we need to understand. We're going to look at John chapter 10, and we'll, we'll, we'll close here, John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking here. He says here in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know what Jesus said? Jesus is the door. He spoke to the people that were there. He said, I am the door. You know, Jesus would often use the description of us being sheep and him being the shepherd, and that's what he's doing in this text. If you look in the back of your bulletin there by the sermon notes, you'll see a picture of a sheephold. It was either a circular uh, enclosure or a square enclosure, and it'd be surrounded by stone walls where they would there keep the sheep, and on that enclosure, as you look at it, there's only one opening in the wall. And that wall would allow access into this enclosure at, in the daytime. It would allow access into the enclosure at night. And the sheep would all be gathered in. And the shepherd would then lay himself down in the opening of that sheephold. And in essence, he would become the door. And as Jesus is speaking to these people, he says, I am the door. He's saying, no one gets into my flock but by me. And we understand what Jesus also said in the book of Luke. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The only way to heaven is Jesus. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not, that not of yourselves. Nothing we can do. Not of works. You can get baptized every day in this baptistry, but that won't take you to heaven. You can go to church your whole life, but that won't take you to heaven. You can take part in communion. You can do some good things. You can be part of religious activities, but those things won't get the job done. There's only one way for a person to, to, to go to heaven when they die, and that is through the faith in the finished work of Jesus. He said, I am the door, and then he said, that door leads to life. Who's that door for? Any man. Any woman. You know, I'm thankful today that salvation is not a club for elite Christians. It's not for the best. It's an offer from God to every man, every woman, every child. No person alive today is beyond the reach of the love of Christ. You know, Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's no one he will deny. But how many people in this world are living thinking there's no hope for them? 
thinking they've rejected him too much or done too much against him or there's just no way that God would care enough about them to save them. But we find over and over again in the word of God, this is an all-inclusive option. John 3.16, probably the most popular Bible verse known to man, says, For God so loved the world. The end of it says that for whosoever, that means anybody, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's for all. So what do we need to do? This is really difficult. It's very deep. You ready? The rest of that verse. If any man enter in. A door serves two purposes. It can be a barrier to keep people out or it can be a means of allowing access. It can be a way for people to enter. What Jesus is saying that no one can enter unless they personally and consciously go through him. In John chapter 3, I just quoted John 3.16 to you. Jesus was speaking to a very religious man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus in the world's eyes would have been one they would have called righteous. He knew the law, he, was, he worshipped his God, he understood who he was and who God was, but Jesus looked at this very religious man who many people would look at him and say, that man's going to heaven, and Jesus looked at him and said, you must be born again. You ever heard those two words? And Nicodemus, being the religious man he was, he said, born again, do I go into my mother's womb again and be born? That's impossible. And Jesus explained to him a little further and said, unless a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said there's a time where you were born, and in order to go to heaven, there must be a certain specific instance in your life where you entered the door. An instance in your life where you were born again into the family of God. And he continues this verse here in John 10, and he says, in verse 9, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. You know, saved is not just a Baptist word. It's a Bible word. We see it right there. It's a very descriptive word. And that word saved was used to describe a person who recovered from a serious illness or one that may have survived a war or somebody that came safely through a bad storm. That's the word that they use in the Bible for saved. So when a person comes to Jesus for salvation, they understand what they deserve. We understand what sin does. We understand where sin causes a person to be destined to. But what Jesus did allows a person to be saved from those things to a new life in him. Instantly liberated from the debt they owe. Saved from that penalty. You know what's awesome? When someone's saved, they're not only saved from the penalty of sin, but they're also saved from the power of sin. Once a person has put their faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be take, held captive by those things and, and fall to those things over and over again. That the power of sin has been broken over, over the Christian. In that door, as people enter, not only are they saved, but that door comes with blessings. 
You like what he says here for the sheep? And find pasture. Every good shepherd leads the sheep to the pasture. The pasture has everything they need. There's rest there. There's sustenance there. There's joy there. There's blessings there. You know, the psalmist wrote about God. They said, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filled the hungry soul with goodness. No longer do we have to search for hope or fulfillment. We, when we go through that door, we find it in the pasture with the shepherd. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life. Not just that, and that they might have it more, what? Abundantly. Does it mean life won't have problems? No. But there's nothing like being a child of God and the will of God, knowing no matter what happens to your life, we have that peace, as the Bible says in Philippians, that passeth all understanding. If you're saved, if you're born again, you have eternal life right now. But how good your life is, how much joy and satisfaction you have depends on the depth of your relationship with Jesus. Remember that city we were talking about a little bit ago? The men came to Elisha with a great need. They said, Jericho's pleasant. But the water's bad, it's, it's barren, it's diseased. God fixed it. There may be someone here today, whether you, you come here regularly or not, as you're living your life right now, something's missing. The situation's pleasant. You have the things you need, you have people in your life, but the water's not, something's not quite right. The same God that healed the water is available to you today. I want you to imagine with me, behind me is a big wall. Can you guys do that with me? We have this wall right behind me, and we have, it's a stone wall. We, there's nothing we can do to, to knock it down. It's very secure. On the other side of this wall is joy. On the other side of this wall is contentment. On the other side of this wall, there's, there's people laughing. There's, there's, there's peace. There's love. On the other side of this wall, we have hope. There's nothing that we don't need on the other side of this wall. And as we search this wall, there's nothing we can do to penetrate it, nothing we can do to knock it over. There's nothing we can do to, to climb over or to earn our way through it somehow. There's only one opening. And in the opening on that wall is Jesus Christ. He says, by me, if any man enter in, every person that walk, to walk the face of this earth has a decision to make in their life. They can stay outside the wall, try to fix things on their own, try to do things on their own, or they can go through the way, the truth, the life, Jesus Christ, and have everything that God has left for Christians to have and know without a shadow of a doubt heaven is their home. They can stay out or they can enter in through Jesus. I was six years old when I entered that door. My wife was 14. Looking at Erica here, Easter, she entered the door. 
Miss Jolene, how many years ago was it? 2018, her husband, a few years after that. doesn't matter if you're a child or an adult. You have a decision to make. It doesn't matter if you've attended this church for some time. You still have to enter the door. It doesn't matter if you've never set foot in church in your life. You have to enter the door. City's pleasant, but the water's not. And Jesus is the only cure. What decision are we going to make? Every head bowed, every eye closed.